Welcome to Planet Watch, big solutions to Earth-sized problems. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman. And I'm Joe Jordan. And today on the program, a conversation with Tara Leonard and Rachel Kippen, two women working to lighten the impact of cigarettes on the environment. We'll talk about what responsibility polluting companies bear for the mess they create. That and lots of oddball science stuff from Joe Jordan coming up on Planet Watch. And we have a podcast. Uh, you can find that and subscribe for free at the website planetwatchradio.com. You can get uh, many of our archived programs there and uh, more information about the program. We also uh, have a way that you can support this effort uh, via Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you go to patreon.com forward slash planet underscore watch, <laughs> uh, you can, uh, you know, donate a little or a lot of money, which will go to helping us get onto even more radio stations across this country and uh, uh, come up with more great stuff uh, that's interesting, important, and fun. That's right. And for those of you who give it a certain amount, you get a special star viewing with Joe Jordan and a special campfire sing-along with me. So nobody's taken us up yet on that, but I bet somebody will eventually. Most people are giving, you know, $2, $10 a month. That's wonderful. We appreciate it. But if you ever really want to get up close and personal, you have to be in Santa Cruz County to receive that. But uh, check that one out. And speaking of which, we want to give special thanks to Mike Zwirling owner of this station for sponsoring this program on uh, local KSCO AM Santa Cruz and Monterey Bay region. And before we go to our interview about cigarettes and their impact on the environment, here's a roundup of some science and environment news we felt was important. And we'll start with Tommy Martin. Yeah, here's some good news for the week. Researchers from the University of Pennsylvania's Urban Health Lab studied the impact of vacant lots on Philadelphia residents' mental health. On average, 15% of land in the United States cities is deemed vacant and is often an eyesore for residents who live near it. For the first time, the research team in Philadelphia measured the mental health of Philly residents before and after vacant lots had been cleaned up and turned into green spaces. The researchers randomly selected 541 vacant lots and interviewed residents claiming to be a part of a study about urban health, but without referencing the improving lot conditions. When interviewing residents 18 months later, the researchers found people living within a quarter-mile radius of greened lots were 40% less depressed. In neighborhoods that fell below the poverty line, the increase was even more significant, dropping 68% near improved lots. The same team in February found a 29% decrease in gun violence near treated lots. They call that so-called broken window effect. When you fix up a part of town, everything gets better one little part. Um, and I'm not surprised. Humans are social creatures. We also respond um, with whether we're feeling secure by whether our environment is healthy. And if something looks unhealthy to us, like a old bunch of cars in a vacant lot, we might feel insecure and therefore less healthy mentally. As someone who lives in the forest, I can definitely attest to this study. And I can attest to the fact that my oak trees are dying, and I look at them often and feel worried. <laughs> so there's something Actually. going on there in the sudden oak death in my forest, and it makes me anxious to look at all the trees dying. Mm. So, yes, it is does affect us on an individual and apparently a collective level, according to the researchers in Philadelphia. Actually, just a little side note here about Planet Watch. Uh, just by coincidence, Rachel and Tommy both live far from Santa Cruz, way up Bonnie Doon Road in the Redwood Forest, uh, and they live like a short walk from each other. Um, that was a nice story, Tommy, and well read, by the way, uh, on uh, public health, basically, uh, an innovative approach to improving public health, which, of course, is going to be a key topic in our interview today. Exactly. Well, here's another story about um, maybe not such an exciting topic, but it's happening far away. It could affect all of us eventually. Scientists at the University of Birmingham in the UK have managed to quantify the amount of sea level rise that would occur if two major Antarctic ice shelves collapse. The Larsen Sea and the George Six they're both named, uh, have a highest risk of collapse due to warming seas. When and if these ice shelves give way, they would accelerate the rate of inland glaciers flowing into the sea. According to the simulations presented in the new study, these could contribute up to 8 millimeters of global sea levels by the year 2100 and 22 millimeters by the year 2300. The smaller George 6 ice shelf would unleash more glacier ice, causing greater impact. 
While these don't seem like large numbers added to other causes of sea level rise, these two events could put many island nations in jeopardy. And uh, just uh, for you uh, metrically challenged folks out there, we talked about 8 and 23 or something millimeters. Um, a, an inch is 25.4 millimeters. So, so at first you might say, well, wait a minute. As Rachel said, those are small amounts. But that's global sea level rise uh, on the order of, you know, a significant fraction of an inch. And it's kind of like, you know, when global warming is happening, where global average temperatures go up by even just one degree, one degree centigrade or Fahrenheit, doesn't matter. That's a lot because it's global. It's worldwide. In fact, there's only a few degrees of difference, by the way. Here's a party fact for you. Separating us from an ice age. Just a f back in the ice ages, the whole world was only a few degrees colder in terms of global average than it is now. So same thing with a seemingly small rise in sea level. If it's global, it's huge. Right. Oh, by the way, I have a story speaking of the oceans and seawater. Um, <clears throat> more later on this, but in fact, we're going to interview uh, the person whose research this uh, reports. Uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, a fellow named Greg Rao, R-A-U, at UC Santa Cruz has recently published uh, a result that leads to much more intensive research, potentially very promising, where, whereby we can sequester truly massive and climate significant amounts of carbon from the atmosphere into the oceans while simultaneously making hydrogen from the seawater for energy. So you would not just be, you know, counteracting the massive emissions of carbon into the atmosphere that we do every year by sucking it out of the atmosphere. You would actually be stopping the emissions because you're now making your energy in a much less carbon-intensive way by using hydrogen derived from seawater while at the same time using seawater chemistry to sequester like tens of billions of tons of carbon from the atmosphere a year. So we'll, we'll have an interview with Greg on this sometime in the coming weeks, so stay tuned. More better later. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting topic. Um, and one other short bit um, that probably deserves a longer interview later on Planet Watch. As many of you have heard, um, the current that keeps temperatures in Europe fairly moderate has been slowing significantly, and it's at its weakest in 1,600 years. And they anticipate that things will get warmer in Europe, and there have been a number of record-breaking heat waves. It has slowed significantly. Um, one little bit of per potentially good news is that scientists think it's actually at its slowest and may turn around again and speed back up, that it's part of a cyclical thing that it just has slowed down in the past. It slowed in the 70s, and they think it slowed as much as it did back then. So the good news is they think it might just turn around again. It may not actually be as affected by global warming and sea level warming as they thought so stay tuned on that one as well it may not all be horrible news <laughs> and you know we don't want either direction to play the gloom and doom messengers we're just trying to report the latest so we can all adjust our brains to what is going on which is a lot in the global uh, sphere of science and, and earth sciences but on to a different topic, which is our topic for today. We're very glad to be able to welcome to the studio uh, two people who have been working on the issue of cigarette butts from slightly different angles. little background, in 2015, the Ocean Conservancy's annual coastal cleanup found a total of 2,127,666, to be exact, cigarette butts, over twice as many as the next most common form of litter. That's how many they picked up uh, worldwide, and about half, guess where they were, in the United States. So while the problem is global, we're the worst polluters of cigarette butts. Here to talk about this important topic are two people who have been working on this issue. Rachel Kippen is the Environmental Special Projects Coordinator for the City of Watsonville, and Tara Leonard is Tobacco Health Educator with Santa Cruz County Department of Public Health. They have in common that they are part of a three-year project funded by California Props 56 that aims to educate the public about the environmental and public health costs of cigarettes. One of the projects is called, cleverly, The Butt Stops here. So we're glad they have their butts in the chair here at KSEO on Planet Watch to tell us a little more about what they're working on. So um, first of all, how bad of an issue or a problem are cigarettes for the environment in particular? 
Well, thank you, Rachel, Tommy, and Joe. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. We're very happy to talk about it. And I want to thank you, Tommy, for those little little informational stories you started with because as we're going to find out today, tobacco butts actually are related to both urban blight and ocean health. And this um, is Tara Lennart, since you can't see her unless you're watching on Planet Watch's Facebook page and then you can see all of us <laughs> on camera. So how big of a problem is it? Yeah. Um, you mentioned the International Coastal Cleanup data, and in fact, the Ocean Conservancy has just released its data from the fall 2017 um, report. And in fact, once again, cigarette butts were the number one item picked up worldwide. And again, 2,412,151, more than any other item that was cleaned up, including bottle caps, food wrappers, plastic bags, or straws, which is interesting because we're hearing a lot about straws now, which is fabulous. And we want to make sure that people understand that tobacco butts are also plastic. One of the key messages that we're trying to share, Rachel and I, is that many smokers think that tobacco butts or filters are something made out of paper or something that biodegrades. And the fact is that they're made out of cellulose acetate. It's a type of plastic that biodegrades eventually over several decades, but even at that point just breaks down into the little plastic microbeads that settle at the bottom of the ocean and therefore at the bottom of our food chain. So these volunteers have to count all these cigarette butts when they pick them up. Up. Do they have a clicker or something? That must be a huge job. Rachel, you want to say yeah, that Yeah, yes, absolutely. So uh, prior to my role in the city of Watsonville, I used to be the program director for Save Our Shores. And if you're familiar with Save Our Shores, you know it's a local organization here in Santa Cruz County tasked with protecting our Monterey Bay, running upwards of 300 cleanups every single year. And as I'm sure you can imagine, the most common item at every single cleanup is a cigarette butt. And Every time you're picking one up and counting it, you get to this point, many of our volunteers and myself included, where you understand uh, that the cleanup is not the solution to the problem, right? If you keep on doing this action over and over again and expecting a different result, isn't that the definition of crazy, right? Uh, we need to be focusing on you know, upstream solutions or actually you know, produce a responsibility towards this uh, issue because it really is systemic all over Santa Cruz County um, and ultimately all winding up in the Monterey Bay. And just the fact that they look bad and you don't want to step on one yep. is bad enough. It just makes you feel when you're at the beach like you're sitting in an ashtray. But there's a real health cost to creatures, right? Yep. But what are some of those things that happen? Like a li the little seals, they're so cute. How, how could we not be protecting them? What happens when they eat one of these things? Yeah, or many so of these Probably, you know, if you've walked out on our beaches and our shorelines, you'll notice you have to really look for butts. And once you start to look for butts, they're absolutely everywhere. Um, and they look quite a bit like an air bladder from a kelp, you know, the little, um, the tiny little balloon that holds the kelp to the surface of which we have so much here in the Monterey Bay. And so animals that are scavenging birds that are on our shores will pick at that, try to eat it like it would be little bugs for them. Um, and if they digest it, if they accidentally digest it, it will give them a false sense of satiety satiation will make them feel like they're full even though it will provide no nutrients for them um, it can make them sick uh, it also has a bunch of toxic chemicals as we're aware of you know the same chemicals that are in the cigarette itself and it holds that just like a tiny little poison packet um, that once in the water can release those toxins into the water affect water quality for animals like our seals our larger mammals and ultimately us as humans um, that's all water that we're swimming in water that's going into our ground that we're using ultimately to drink um, so it's really you know not good for our, our water quality I got a couple little sort of sciencey questions. Uh, one wonders whether these things taste good to the animals that are picking at them and eating them. Uh, maybe they just want, you know, uh, less filling, more filling. But uh, the other one is, uh, I was telling somebody just the other day, getting ready for this show, that, uh, well, they're made out of plastic, cellulose. And I was thinking, wait a minute, cellulose is from plants, from woody plants, right? Mm -hmm. But you said cellulose acetate, so that's some kind of weird human-made chemical, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. not, not found in nature. That's well, I think there's two things to say about that. One that's important to mention is it doesn't matter whether a creature actually ingests these or not. Studies have shown that just a single cigarette put in one liter of water kills half the fish exposed to it. So these things are, as Rachel referred to them, as toxic little bombs, whether you're ingesting them or whether or not you're just swimming in the water that they have now infested because, as she mentioned, they do include lead, arsenic, nicotine. These are all the same chemicals that we have determined that are unhealthy in secondhand smoke. And as a result, people in California and elsewhere have passed a lot of policies 
making sure that we don't have these chemicals in the air we breathe. You're not allowed to smoke on a plane anymore. You're not allowed to smoke in a restaurant anymore. And yet, these little toxic bombs are underneath our feet every day on our streets, on our beaches, on our parks, and as we now know, making their way into our watershed. Not to mention babies can pick them up if yeah. they're crawling around in the mm -hmm. beach in the sand. You know, Rachel, that's a good point because I have a friend who was a lifelong smoker and she recently told me that what made her quit is when she was sitting in her backyard one day and her toddler showed up with a cigarette butt in his yeah. mouth. Oh, no. I got a question. Uh, we were talking the other day on the phone getting ready for this about uh, how these filters... Contrary to popular belief, they don't really filter out the chemicals. They're, they're mainly there just to filter out the rough, you know, tobacco crumbs from getting into your mouth when you take a drag on the thing. However, if they are these little toxic bombs, clearly they did filter out some chemicals. If they're so full of these chemicals, they did do some chemical filters. That, that's so a good point, Joe, because in fact, cigarette butts or filters were originally intended, just as you said, simply to keep loose tobacco out of the smoker's mouth as they were smoking them. But over time, the tobacco companies sort of generated this myth that they in fact had a health benefit. Not only do they not have a health benefit, but in fact, recent studies are showing that, and this is based on some of the own industry data, that we now have access to that they have possibly caused an increase in lung adenoid carcinomas, which is the most common form of lung cancer. And one of the reasons that this is happening is when you look at the data, the way that they are testing these cigarettes on a machine is not the way that actual human beings smoke cigarettes. So what the filters are doing is they're changing the way people inhale. They're changing how deeply they inhale. Um, they're also changing the tobacco combustion itself to create more toxins. And they're doing all of this while spreading this complete myth that, in fact, Cigarette filters are better for you. Hmm. This is strangely reminiscent of how auto emissions tests are exactly. often quite unrealistic mm -hmm. to real driving conditions. Exactly. Um, so just as recently as May of 2017, a recent review of all of the published scientific data, including internal tobacco documents. And this is interesting to talk about for people who don't know that there are 14 million internal tobacco documents housed at UCSF. They're there as a result of previous litigation with the tobacco companies. So if we get into it later, this has just been a treasure trove for finding out what has actually been going on within the industry about filters. Oh, I have an important announcement. Our, our usual, you know, email us thing. We got to mm. tell people how they can join this conversation. If you're listening out there or even in between shows, but we can get to your questions and comments live today in the next, uh, you know, two thirds of an hour. If you will, but email us at radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. Did you say butt email us? Oh, butt email us. <laughs> Talking Something about butt dialing? <laughs> Cigarette butts. <laughs> Radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. Tommy is, he's supposed to be scanning. scanning. Oh, he's scanning his oh. cell phone for your emails. Okay. And you can ask us questions on Facebook. If you go to our Facebook page um, where we are streaming the visuals live, you can always see Joe's shirt of the day, which is today got flowers. <laughs> it's always Hawaiian. But today it's uh, flowers. You can look at that shirt and you can ask us a question right in the section of the show. Joe, I'm really glad that you jumped right to the health benefits of cigarettes because that's one of the primary arguments that, that our industry has been getting in terms of pushback on cigarette the filters. The health benefits of cigarettes, did you say? Yes. <laughs> you mean filters? filters. So oh, okay. cigarette filters. So it's very important that we completely clarify that issue. And in, and in fact, I think it's worth noting that the... Um, the California Coastal Commission recently released its recent data um, about the strategies that they want to take to keep to keep a variety of types of trash from getting to the mm -hmm. sea. And one of the things that they're going to be looking at mm -hmm. is this idea of the health benefits of cigarette filters. Mm -hmm. And just sort of slamming the door on that argument entirely, coming down with the definitive data so that we don't have to keep having that argument with, with the industry. So the changes that they made to the filters, did that make them contain more of the chemicals after they've been used as well so that they're more of a danger to the environment when they are put I don't, out? I don't know the answer to that, and we'd have to take a really close look at what the internal documents say on that. That's not something that I have seen. Okay. I would just assume because they're making this myth that they're filtering out more of the chemicals, I would assume that they would be staying in the filter then if that was the case. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. 
Well, you know, we should, um, and a really important topic, which Rachel hinted at in the introduction to this segment, was the source of all this stuff. You know, the tobacco industry, the, the makers of cigarettes, the, the pushers of this stuff, um, they need to take responsibility for what they make. I mean, of course, yeah, it's on humans, too, who consume this, this stuff. And, you know, they're not taking care of themselves any more than they are of the earth when they just flick these butts all over the place after having smoked the damn things. But, you know, Europe has strong laws in place now and regulations whereby manufacturers have to uh, assume a, what we call EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility, where through higher costs and or modifications to the products, they, uh, you know, they incur costs that make people have to pay more of the true cost to, the, to themselves and to the world of consuming uh, stuff that has negative impacts. So tell us about the latest on that. Apparently there is some progress on the horizon here for that. I, I would like someone to define extended producer responsibility because I thought it was something quite different. I thought it was they have to take it back. Like if you're a plastic <laughs> manufacturer, you have to deal with the waste yourself mm -hmm. as you a know, company. You know, that is frequently the method that it takes. So extended producer responsibility, as Joe mentioned, is this policy that says whoever designs, produces, sells a product has to take responsibility for minimizing the impact that that product has on the environment across its lifespan. Mm -hmm. So as you pointed out, what the tobacco company is doing is they're actually externalizing a significant cost of their industry because they're putting this deadly, addictive, polluting product out there in the world and then they're taking zero responsibility for cleaning it up. Who do you think is paying to clean it up? We are, the taxpayers, mm -hmm. the local jurisdictions, the local public works departments, organizations like Save Our Shores. Mm -hmm. So yes, one of the things that we are working on um, at the Tobacco Education Coalition is to get an extended producer responsibility on tobacco waste um, at one of the jurisdictions in Santa Cruz County. We're working with an organization called Change Lab Solutions to come up with exactly what that policy is going to look like. and. That's an interesting point because one of the things we also know from looking at the internal tobacco documents is that tobacco smokers themselves, they are not going to return their tobacco butts to the point of purchase. We know that because their data with focus groups and interviews and product changes has shown that in fact smokers themselves are as disgusted with the habit of smoking as the rest of us are. And so this, this idea of flicking your cigarette butt is a psychological response to literally wanting to get rid of the evidence of Literally, your did you say? Literally. <laughs> Just flicking your cigarette butts. And why not? Because this is an activity, right, that has been supported by our media for decades, right? We've got James James Dean flicking his cigarette butt before he gets in the hot sports car. We've got the sexy girl in the red shirt, you know, throwing her cigarette butt in the gutter and like squishing it with her sexy heels. We as, an, we as a culture have enabled this behavior. We have enabled this behavior and we have allowed cigarette smokers and others to think of it as something other than littering. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we want to do through an EPR policy is make it very clear that this is littering. This isn't any different than throwing anything else out your car window. This isn't any different. Now, you're talking about making the difference between the individual smoker responsibility and the industry. We know from experience that the individual behavior change isn't enough. It's important, it's a big piece of the puzzle. And of course, that's why we're going to be doing a number of other things in our campaign around that. But we want to make the focus of this campaign putting the responsibility on big tobacco. They are the people that are producing this deadly addictive product, and they are the ones that are pushing it. And so even smokers themselves, I have sympathy for smokers. They are addicted to this product, and I answer the 1-800 um, cessation line that comes into the Health County. I understand how hard it is to quit smoking. We want to say to smokers, work with us work with us to hold big tobacco responsible for what they're doing to individuals and to the environment. So getting back to your question, what would that look like? It would have to look like several things. The industry has to come up with a workable solution for keeping their tobacco butts out of the environment, or they have to pay an in-lieu fee to pay the rest of us for doing it. Mm -hmm. So how would that work? I mean, you mentioned that the state or locally our state assemblyman, Mark Stone, is pushing a bill that would just simply make it more expensive or ban cigarettes, ban cigarettes. In, completely in California, which is pretty bold. Yeah. Um, just 
or banned filters, not cigarettes. Like yep. you could still buy them, but they just wouldn't have those wouldn't nasty have filter. filters. Because you can throw a piece of a, a hand-rolled tobacco out and it will biodegrade. Right. So not quite as toxic. And I mean, hopefully we would get to the phase where we wouldn't have any sort of toxic litter waste that would be left over a remnant from um, any product that folks smoke. And I think another interesting thing to note is that as we're working on cigarette butts, the tobacco industry is producing so much more single-use plastic toxic waste. You know, this is just the beginning. And we have, you know, vaping products. We have those little, I don't know the term for them, but those little plastic flute-looking things that hold, um, I think they hold the cigarillos. Oh, right, those just, little pouches, those cellophane wrappers. Yeah, and we find them everywhere. Um, and so for us, I think this is a really important first step of raising awareness on this is an item that needs extended producer responsibility because in the meantime, we're doing a lot of work on extended producer responsibility on other types of plastics, right? We have this huge initiative that's happened this year with China that you may have heard about uh, with the Blue Sky Initiative where China is you know, saying, hey, hold up United States, stop giving us all of your waste to quote unquote recycle. Um, and so what that's doing is really making us look internally as you know waste management districts, how to reduce our plastic waste and create more extended producer responsibility laws around certain types of plastics. But what always seems to be missing um, are cigarette and tobacco related waste products, um, which mm -hmm. is a huge gap, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's a number of things that they can do. I mean, the first one is to simply remove filters like you were right, saying, right, right, and right. that's the Mark Stone AB 2308. Yep. But you know, he was not even able to get the, the right. votes to get that out of the GO committee. That's a whole nother topic. And if people want to talk about why people aren't willing to vote for this, you can go to the American Lung Association policy page and you can see a report about the money, the tobacco money in mm -hmm. politics. And you can see exactly what your legislators are getting from the tobacco industry. I'd like to put in my ad here for campaign finance reform because all of the problems we discuss on this program always go back to money in politics. If you mm -hmm. couldn't buy off your legislator with a very large donation, you would be able to pass the things that people wanted to have passed mm -hmm. and we wouldn't have these problems of big anything, yeah. big oil or big tobacco running our lives. Yeah, yeah they, gener they generate this report called Tobacco Money in California Politics every year and you can get to it at lung.org backslash California. Um, so simply removing filters, that is, is probably one of the ideas that has already been discussed quite a bit. A second one is to require product changes. So if you are absolutely convinced that you have to keep a filter, you could make it biodegradable. You could make it edible. You could make it dissolvable. These are all ideas that have been floated by the tobacco industry themselves. So remove a filter, require the filter to be changed. And if you can't do either of those things, then you get into this concept of imposing a fee on the industry to have to offset cleanup costs for their product. And can I speak to that really quickly, the yeah. offset cleanup costs. So um, speaking from a government perspective, we in Watsonville have a stormwater permit. So does anyone know about stormwater permits? Should I go into some detail about that? <laughs> this is Rachel Kippen. Is she Rachel is Kippen. the Environmental <laughs> Special Projects Coordinator for the city of Watsonville here in Santa Cruz County, California. So all jurisdictions are required to have a stormwater permit under the National Pollution discharge elimination system. And that permit essentially oversees uh, making sure that you have a management for your sewer system, that we're not you know, surrounded by any of our human waste, making sure that we're not putting oil and paint and construction materials into our waterway, dealing with pet waste. Um, and this year, uh, we are launching our trash amendment as part of our stormwater permit. So statewide in California, all of our jurisdictions are going to be required over the next 10 years to entirely eliminate trash that can be blown or washed down our storm drains into our creeks, into our rivers, and into our ocean, ultimately. That is a lot of work, right? So as a government and a disadvantaged community, um, to task us to figure out how to do that is really, really noble and very important. I'm 100% in support of it, but that's going to require some funding, a lot of mechanisms to make sure that we get rid of all of these ubiquitous items like cigarette butts um, and something that I think is really important to bring into this conversation because that ultimately will fall onto us or, and then ultimately onto our residents who pay us, right? So there needs to be money to do it. Right? Absolutely. All right. If you just joined us, this is Planet Watch. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman with Joe Jordan and Tommy Martin. Our intern has picked up over the wire, over the transom, oh, this is, this is my question. Okay. okay. Over his brain. Over my brain. Um, so I'm just wondering who 
is backing the filters. Why would anyone, it seems like that would be a cost to the tobacco industry who has to put the filters on. If they're not really helping anyone, it's not a health factor. Who are the people, just lobbyists for the cigarette companies who want to make more money? I mean, just the trying cigarette, to figure out. The cigarette industry has been very resistant to any product changes. At the same time, they know that this whole issue is really a potential problem for them because it opens the door for litigation. It also opens the door before uh, of turning the tide of public support against an industry that's already, shall we say, sort of on the run and on the ropes. So if you're asking me the psychology of a bunch of tobacco industry experts and why they're resistant to this, I cannot begin to explain that to you. Um, I'm sure, as Rachel has said, it has to do with money. Well, and the and I believe in some of the the talking points for Stone's bill uh, was that you know the the way that it feels in the smoker's mouth, and again for the smoker to have been um, very convinced that it has health benefits, that's a lie right. that they want to keep playing up. You know, Good that's point. really right. important to them to not be like, oh, you know, now now it's something that you're going to be smoking, and it doesn't feel the same. It's not as smooth, and it doesn't have these you know fake health benefits. Um, they don't want to lose that, you know? That's they may point. not have That's to study. do any convincing because, as I remember and as I know a few smokers, um, it's highly ritualistic and mm-hmm. addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. Once you have a certain way, you like it. Right. That's how you it's like, like it. coffee. If you have to have it black, right. you're always going to have to have it black. So right. perhaps that's uh, something they don't have to do any convincing. Right. It's partly baked into the addiction of yeah. the yeah. chemical it's associated. Well, and what Rachel's talking about is mouthfeel. That mm-hmm. their studies mm-hmm. show that when they tried to replace, I, I don't smoke, I guess a plastic filter has a little bit more of a stiffness to it, and that the smokers didn't like the soggier f- mouthfeel of a paper filter. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned ritualistic, though, because Joe and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, that part of this whole flicking activity Mm. is part of this sort of ritualistic, anti-establishment, cool thing about smoking. That that's sort of, I'm a rebel and I'm just going to toss my cigarette. It's not that smokers don't know that that's a littering behavior and that it's actually illegal, but it fits into their psychology of smoking as a rebellious activity. This goes back to the 1920s. I teach a mass media course and we talk about public relations and um, Edward Berners-Lee was a very early um, advocate of, he was working for, I think it was Philip Morris, and there was a problem. Women weren't smoking enough cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So they got uh, Gloria Vanderbilt to put on her fur coat and all these society women in New York to go down and, and smoke in public because it wasn't allowed at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was considered a rebel thing to do to, for women to smoke. And this was had huge publicity factor. All the media was there covering it. And yeah. lo and behold, female smoking went through the roof after that mm-hmm. publicity stunt where they had a smoke in. They called them torches of freedom. Yeah. So this is a long time, very intentional association with rebelliousness. Mm-hmm. Like who would be against freedom, right? Torches of limbs. freedom. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your right to kill yourself. Um. Yeah. And I'd like to mention on that very issue that one of the things that they convinced women is that smokers, smoking was going to keep you thin. Smoking was going to kill your appetite and keep Virginia you from slims. overeating. Right. And I was recently at a middle school in the Watsonville area and I had seventh graders tell me that they vape their dessert. So those messages are still prevalent. They're still out there. And 12-year-old girls are now hearing them. And that's why they had Joe Camel, right? Mm. Yeah, (laughs) let's talk a little bit about vaping because this was something I learned uh, in talking to Tara the other day. Uh, And you mentioned it, Mm -hmm. Rachel uh, Kippen, (laughs) Uh, I think. You were talking about these little containers for the liquid that becomes the vapor. and then recondenses so you can see it. Uh, you know, little bottles, plastic bottles, and apparently right. those get thrown right. all over What I'd creation. like to encourage your listeners to do is to do a little field trip. Mm-hmm. Go into your local 7-Eleven, go into a local vape shop, go into a local gas station, frankly, and take a look at the flavored products that are now available. It might be shocking to you. So mm-hmm. vapes, as many of you know, is, is an electronic smoking device where you pour a liquid in and a little battery heats the liquid and it creates a vape. So there's a number of things to say about that from a waste perspective. Mm -hmm, The mm -hmm. first is that they're electronic waste. Mm -hmm. They contain a battery. And as those of you who might have flown recently know, they're now asking you when you get on a plane if you have e-cigarettes because they have been known to spontaneous combust. Our concern from a waste perspective is after you use these things and you just toss them into a landfill... Mm -hmm. 
That's electronic waste. Mm -hmm. Now, what you're talking about is a little refill bottle. So there's now about 15,000 flavors of um, these, these vape flavors out there in the world. And they come in these little tiny jars. They're usually plastic. Sometimes they're glass. And you pour them into your little vape. And then what do you do? You throw it out. Maybe you try to recycle it, but even if you recycle it, it has toxic chemicals still in there, including nicotine. And those things are soaking into the ground and soaking into our waterways. Plus, you've got all those bottles now being tossed aside. So this brings up a question for me about focusing on one piece of, you know, plastic waste. Like, mm -hmm. it, it keeps shifting, you know, from, like you said, from straws to mm -hmm. plastic bags. Mm -hmm. And it really goes back, for me, to the plastic industry, Absolutely. not yes. these individual products because I just posted a video, you should look on our Facebook page, um, a wave of plastic mm. hits Dominican Republic beaches. Mm. It's so ugly to see, like all you can see is plastic on the surface of the ocean and it's breaking in waves over these beaches. So <sighs> we clearly can't keep doing this. Every time they invent a new product like those uh, disposable coffee cups, it's by the millions. If just yeah. you know, if you just multiply one consumer by all the people buying those, right. and all the numbers of coffee, it yeah. goes into the bazillions very yeah. quickly. Yeah. And it seems like as as a society, we just can't do it anymore. We have to stop all of it now. And there has to be a law that just bans all non-reusable plastics. Period. Yeah. End of story. Or we can't have an ocean or fish anymore. Right. I mean, there's no middle ground because you can't. They're trying to invent these machines that suck plastic out of the ocean. And that it's the seems, wrong end. <laughs> it's the Band-Aid effect. You know, sorry to go off on this, but it really goes back to which industry is responsible here. It's the plastics industry, ultimately. It goes back to them. Well, you know, since it is a littering issue, uh, <laughs> there are litter laws, anti-litter laws on the books in most places. But, of course... <laughs> you have to catch people in the right. act. Well, right? and then you have to confront them, and what do you do? You, you know, you end up getting slugged or worse maybe or into some really ugly altercation i mean how you'd have, how to have a lot work? of a lot of litter police <laughs> right my, my right. daughter says that in japan they do not give you takeout there is no takeout there is no fast food takeout yeah you eat yeah. at home and you have to take the garbage home yeah. with you so you either eat it in the restaurant on washable dishes yeah. or you eat it at home and so there's none of that mcdonald's bag thrown out the window with a bunch of plastic right. where is that Ken? japan Oh, she's over there now. No, but she was. And oh, cool. She came back with the, everything's clean. There's no yeah. garbage yeah. anywhere. It's all right. And they're an yeah. island. They have to do it. They don't have any out there. There's nowhere I mean, else for it to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Joe, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. There have been all sorts of previous approaches, again, specifically on tobacco waste, like, oh, why don't you just put out more mm -hmm. trash receptacles? Mm -hmm. Well, how many of us have seen 40 cigarette butts on the ground? a foot away from a trash receptacle. More signs, discouraging littering, discouraging smoking. I walk down Pacific Avenue, which many of you might know is a smoke-free street. People are openly smoking. So that gets back to the enforcement issue. Well, you know, why don't we just enforce existing litter laws? Most enforcement agencies, they don't have the time, they don't have the money to prioritize littering. If you as a, as a listener want them to prioritize that, I would encourage you when we're having conversations about plastic waste in general to one, include cigarettes in that conversation and two, Contact your policymakers. Bring it up with your city council members. Bring it up with your board of supervisors. Write letters to the editor. We need to become more vocal that this is an unacceptable issue and that we need comprehensive policies to take care of it because the existing policies aren't enough. We need more tools in the toolbox. And you mentioned the ban, you know, banning... We'll ban straws, we'll ban coffee lids, we'll ban all, you know, these right, little K-cups. And then they're just going to keep on throwing more plastic items at us. And now here we are recognizing we need to do extended produ producer responsibility where there are other countries that are way ahead of the game um, than the United States in that regard. And so wouldn't it be amazing if we didn't allow a product to come out on the market without having already considered all of these different things, you know, where we didn't have to come forward and say, we're going to do more comprehensive bans. That seems pretty ridiculous, even though we're doing that and it's helpful. Um, and or we're going to ask for extended producers responsibility after your product is already on the market. What about beforehand? You can't even give this to us unless right. you've already figured all of this out. That right. sounds really smart. And we're sitting in the Monterey Bay area, the heart of agriculture, where yeah. they made and invented the plastic clam shell, which is a yeah. device to keep strawberries and other produce from getting squished. But guess what? I heard, and maybe I'm wrong, and you can correct me, that they're not recyclable mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. I thought they were. I've been putting mm -hmm. them in my recycling all these years. 
And what happens to those if they're not yeah, recyclable? Well, they're challenging to recycle, especially because they have that adhesive label on them. So a lot of folks don't recognize that that needs to be removed. There's steps involved in the recycling process. And then depending on the, again, this is where it gets really challenging on the waste management district that you're in, certain things are accepted and certain haulers are going to be, you know, sending waste all over the place, essentially. Some good news in that regard is the same company that invented that clamshell has also now introduced a cardboard recyclable alternative. Sembrilo. So um, that's thank a really positive. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And here's another thing. Obviously, this discussion is way broader and deeper and more significant than just, you know, cigarettes. When, when I first saw that we were going to do this, I kind of thought, well, I'm not a smoker. How much interest is this going to have? For? But hey, we're talking about economic foundations, you know, business versus mm -hmm. environment, big issues. And here's a real challenge, uh, a very effective approach, which has been done with that guy Bernays, who uh, uh, Rachel mentioned, Rachel Goodman, <laughs> who was the uh, some relative uh, nephew or something of uh, Sigmund Freud, actually. Uh, he started this whole campaign of making smoking cool for women. Well, hey, we ought to be able to, or we should, <laughs> dream on, have a campaign whereby on TV ads now all over the place, it's clearly portrayed that smoking is not cool or, or at least throwing away your waste. And, uh, you know, you do you do have this stuff for, like, people texting while they're driving. Right, it, it's, right. You know, Changing somebody somebody on the corner is glaring at them and oh, he puts mm -hmm. his phone away sheepishly. Same kind of thing with, uh, what else? Uh, oh, you know sex without consent or you know there right. there's a whole culture These are changing thing. behavior uh, yeah. ads you're talking about there was a so really it, powerful one with a native american crying yeah. as oh, litter right, was yeah. blowing past him yeah. and it's you know it said keep america beautiful and it was a campaign mm -hmm. to get people to stop littering and yeah. it was quite effective yeah. it seems to have worn off that ad you know is <laughs> long gone we need a whole new generation of ads and campaigns to change emotional response to seeing right. people litter. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that. We do have money in our three-year budget. We are going to be doing some local advertising campaigns. California Tobacco Control Program has actually recently released some statewide mm -hmm. anti-tobacco tobacco waste. Have you, Tommy's looking like he might have seen some of these. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen some of them on the major major uh, television channels. Locally, I didn't feel like they really resonated that much with Santa Cruz residents. They're very gritty. They're very urban. Mm -hmm. They're very dark. And so we're going to be working with a local advertising advertising agency here in Santa Cruz to put together our own tobacco waste um, advertising campaigns using imagery of the beach and the boardwalk and the riverways that we feel is going to be much more Santa Cruz. Um, but I wanted to go back to another thing that Joe said about, well, I don't smoke, so, you know, what can I do about this? Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the many ways that the tobacco waste issue is a little bit different than the mm -hmm. other plastics mm -hmm. issues. We all use plastics in our life. There's simply no denying that. But only 12% of people in California actually smoke. And so that creates a different and interesting kind of tension around the tobacco waste issue, around blame and who's at fault and that sort of thing. And that's why we want to remove that whole dialogue and focus on the actual responsibility landing on the producers and the manufacturers. We're not out there trying to make smokers feel like bad people. Mm -hmm. Yes, we want their responsibility in terms of properly disposing of their cigarette waste, but we also want to make sure that it's very clear who's at fault here in the big picture. Mm -hmm. I think about these campaigns that erupted overnight, you know, with Starbucks and, and companies mm -hmm. that are found quickly on media to be doing something unsavory or immoral and it almost happens overnight that there's an instant boycott and it really does hit them through social media and I do wonder if something like that might end up happening you know you, it's hard to plan those things but when they do right. happen they can have a salutary mm. effect right on the situation it's just um, hard to orchestrate well I got a question I mean this is relevant here um, there's a whole world of experience that would require another show on how do you help people who want to quit smoking mm. actually quit smoking. I mean, I know about a patch. I mean, it sounds like a magic thing, but then everybody would have already quit now. It obviously doesn't work all that well, or maybe people don't want to buy the thing. Maybe right. it costs a lot. Right. I, I don't, tell us the latest real quick on... <laughs> that <laughs> is a really big Because I have actually, helped, yeah, I've actually of, helped a couple of friends I, I quit smoking, and I just held their hand through the whole yeah. process of quitting for like three or four consecutive days and nights, and then they quit. I will say this because, like I said, um, I'm very sympathetic to smokers, and if you are a smoker that's out there listening and you want help quit,
quitting smoking, you can call 1-800-NO-BUTS if you're in California, and they will provide you um, personalized phone conferencing. Um, if you call my line, which is 831-454-4141, I will personally call you back. I can hook you up with some no-smoking resources in, in our area, both face-to-face -face groups and online stuff and written materials. We know that it's very, very hard, and we are here to help you if that's what you want to try to do. So you can do it. That's, that's Tara Leonard. That's hook you up, not keep you hooked. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and you're listening to Planet Watch. We're talking with uh, Tara Leonard and Rachel Kipper, and they're both here uh, dealing with the environmental side of cigarette waste. And Tommy. I personally want to thank Tara for making that, her, for putting her phone number out there and telling people to call her because I think that's really important for people to have someone to talk to about oh, that. By the way, she did uh, mention a website earlier, lung.org slash California. You said backslash, but I think you meant regular forward slash California. Oh, I think right? you're right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're interested in the website of our coalition where you can find out more about what we're doing, that's www.santacruzhealth.org backslash tobacco or maybe it's not a backslash is it no, a backslash yes. people say that but <laughs> it's actually that. a regular slash it's just, it's just a slash thank you <laughs> just a slash so we can slash cigarette waste can <laughs> i spend a moment saying some other things that smokers yeah. and non-smokers can do to help in this regard i mean obviously the first and most important thing is please don't smoke um don't give your money to this industry that is doing these terrible horrible things to individuals and to the planet if you do smoke as i mentioned give me a call let's see if we can try to help you stop smoking if you do smoke please properly dispose of your cigarette waste um, and whether you smoke or not spread the word you know t talk about this radio show that you've heard talk to policymakers write letters to the editor um, take part in cleanup events we do not want to by any means give the impression that cleanup events are super super important they are so important so you know contact save our shores contact surf riders yes we would lag it in an ideal world to not have this stuff even getting to our beaches but while it is it is so critical that you are there and helping to pick it up before it gets into the ocean um, and finally i would say join the coalition we have all sorts of fabulous opportunities for people to get involved. Do you want to talk about yeah, August 26th? Yeah, we have an event coming up on August 26th. We're doing a partnered uh, cleanup with Save Our Shores. So Tara and I and our Tobacco Education Coalition uh, hosted at the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History a uh, cigarette butt making art activity where we made these huge wooden and um, tag board cigarette butts where people could write messages about keeping the ocean clean. And, I hope um, you wore gloves. Well, oh, they, they were, we made them out of non-toxic materials oh. um, and what we're going to do is bring them out to our cleanup and use them as a way to visually show where we're finding concentrations of large amounts of cigarette butts at Cowell Beach which if you visited Cowell Beach you know um, in a lot of areas it is it is basically an ashtray um, so we would love to have folks join us August 26th at 9 a.m. and the yes. idea is to show <laughs> that cigarette butts are a big so you're going to put these big, big towers yeah. at every butt. It would be like those Easter Island statues or something <laughs> on the beach marking the locations yeah. of all the uh, yeah. cigarette butts. Yeah, we're going to be doing some aerial photography yeah. and some social media and just to see, you know, now do you see the problem? Because let's face it, a lot of us don't. And so I'd like to ask everybody here and everybody listening, in fact, pay attention. Mm -hmm. Take a look where you're walking today as you're walking to your car, as you're walking to work. Start to notice cigarette waste because once you see it, you cannot stop seeing it. Mm. It is everywhere and it's not okay. If you want to see a really good movie that pretty much would um, change your mind about how you feel about the tobacco industry, if you don't already think they are kind of a nefarious bunch, watch Merchants of Doubt. Mm. It pretty much tracks their playbook for um, faking the public out. They knew that cigarettes caused cancer very early on and they went on television in an intentional misinformation campaign to pretend it wasn't settled yet therefore casting doubt on the science and sometimes attacking the scientists themselves and then they use the same techniques and this is featured in the same film on the whole climate issue another kind of emissions on a global scale rather than a personal scale and the same deception think we're seeing that in other levels of government as well you attack the messenger you just you know disreputize the scientists and then you just deny so uh, watch for that and watch that movie if you can yeah it gives you a really good idea of the effectiveness of lobbying in our government and it's pretty sad to see but one more thing i wanted to mention just about the ad campaign mm. i'm thinking we can't combat everything by telling people just to stop i think that we need to do an ad campaign that focuses on the butts and the fact that the companies are the ones who are pushing this 
useless idea that it's mm. somehow healthier for everyone when it's not. And I think right. that that would Thank you, connect Tom. with people, especially smokers who I don't feel like get sick of being told all the time, just stop, because I do it all the time to people like my sister and no, who I care about. No, it will absolutely not be focused on individual behavior change. It will be focused on these larger issues that we're talking about. And I'm going to put your name down yeah. if you'd like to be on a focus group, because we will be field testing and focus grouping these materials before they go out to the public. Please. Yeah, you could call it bust the butts. The whole <laughs> myth about butt. the butts or the, the filters is busted. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, thanks so much for a really interesting interview. Wow. And, you know, there, there's more here to talk about and uh, of course this has uh, connections to addictions of all kinds including my favorite deadly one namely too much sugar and chocolate and stuff I mean chocolate can be good for you in moderation all things in moderation <laughs> but anyway more on that later um, but it's time for the oddball stuff segment here in the last mm -hmm. two, three minutes of the show. And this is an especially great week for oddball stuff because thanks to Rachel who called this to my attention, um, a new moon of Jupiter has just been discovered. It turns out it's the 79th moon now known of Jupiter. And I mean, there are four that you can see in binoculars or a telescope. Uh, and you know, there were 12 known when I was a kid. Now there's 79. This is the smallest one and uh, they call it an oddball because it's orbiting in a different way from all the other moons and it crosses, uh, its orbit crosses the orbits of other moons that are in a group that are going the wrong way or the opposite way around the planet from the direction the planet spins. And that actually reminds me when I was a kid, we used to go for, to an amusement park outside of Washington, D.C. called Glen Echo. I think it might still be preserved as a cultural heritage. Anyway, I was in the bumper cars and I was a little kid and the, the way you're supposed to do it, you just kind of go along with everybody else and you just kind of bang into each other sideways. But I thought, hey, some real action here. I should turn around and had a whole big wall of these cars coming straight at me. And I thought, this is really going to be fun. But of course, they shut down the whole the whole <laughs> ride because of me. Well, anyway, that's what this oddball moon of Jupiter does is it's going around and sooner or later, it's going to be toast. Uh, they've actually named it uh, Valetudo, V-A-L-E-T-U-D-O, because that was the great grandchild of the Roman god Jupiter. They should have named it after Joe Jordan, who shut down the ride at Echo <laughs> Glenn Park. Echo. And then uh, one th last thing I have to tell you, because it's big, big news in the sky. I mean, you can see a, a week ago, you could see all five naked eye planets plus the Earth, including Mercury. But Mercury is pretty much faded from sight in the West now. But uh, early in the evening now, you can see the magnificent sight of brilliant Venus in the West, Jupiter in the South. It was right next to the moon a couple nights ago. You might have seen that. Uh, Saturn to the left or east of that, and then finally, angry orange Mars, which is the brightest and closest it's been to the Earth in 15 years. Brightest and closest since 2003. It's going to reach the opposition where we are passing it on the inside track and are closest to it for this orbit this week, uh, Thursday the 27th. And on the other side of the world, if you're one of our friends listening in the Eastern Hemisphere, you will get to see a total eclipse of the moon with Mars right next to the reddish moon. We're going to miss the eclipse of the moon, but we will have a full moon near the Mars at its brightest on the night of this Thursday, the 27th. So anyway, Mars for the next few weeks, uh, it may even be visible in daylight just before sunset or after sunrise for the, for the next few weeks on the on either horizon. So Thank yeah, thanks keep, Joe for keep an eye on the sky. Keep an eye on the sky. Thanks Joe for cosmic relief and thanks to our guest Tara Leonard and Rachel Kippen for being here today. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman with Joe Jordan and Tommy Martin. That's Planet Watch this week and we encourage you to catch our podcast at planetwatchradio.com. We uh, I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks, but Joe and Tommy and Maya will be carrying on. So stay tuned for Planet Watch coming your way weekly right here on this radio station. Bye-bye. Stay tuned.